Um, for those of us who are staying, uh, if you would open your Bibles or pull up your apps to Genesis chapter 1. It's at the very beginning of the Bible, so you don't have to go very far. We're in Genesis chapter 1 for a little while today. Um, and I hope everyone's had a really good New Year so far. Um, I, I feel like for our family, it hasn't started yet. So our kids started back to school on Wednesday, but we didn't stop like the late night movies, this kind of stuff. And so it was like one of those easy men. It feels like today and tomorrow is kind of like, oh, it's actually 2023 now. So I don't know if that's you, but we're stumbling into the year. Um, and this is our first church gathering of 2023. Hope uh, those of you who participated in New Year's dinners uh, enjoyed those and just got maybe to meet someone you haven't uh, known before or got to see someone that you haven't seen in a while. Um, but I want to start this year a little bit differently. Again, we're going to be in Mark uh, here in a couple weeks, but we want to start this year a, a little bit differently and just kind of call us back to, to who we are because of who God is. Um, and, and so I want to start with a, with a question, and this is one I'd love for you to actually like make notes on your phone or write on your tablecloth, if you will, uh, kind of thing. And we're going to start with two questions. We're going to give you like a minute and a half each. Um, the first question is this. It'll be up on the screen. What are your top four or five priorities in life? What are your top four or five priorities in life? And I don't want to give you like hints or that kind of stuff, but, but sometimes people are like, well, what do you mean? So family is a, a decent priority. Uh, work, God, things like this. So top four or five priorities, 90 seconds, and gut response. What are your top four or five? They don't have to be in order. Type A people, it's okay. If you only have three, that's okay. If you have six, that's okay. Top few priorities. You don't have to share these if it helps you be more honest. We're not going like, to pass to the person on your left. <laughs> Alright, here's the next one. If someone had an all-access look at your time, finances, even your thought life, kind of could dig into the core of who you are, what would they see? as your top four or five priorities. Maybe they're the same, maybe they're different, maybe it's a mix. But what do you think? 85 seconds, since y'all were so fast on the last one. All right, anything strike you about you jotting those things down? Exactly as expected, anything different? Yeah, that's fair. I, that probably describes most of us, I would guess. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and agree with Ben or not. But yeah, a couple same, a couple different. Um, here, here's the, the, the point of asking that, is that like this past week, this is the time of year when people around the U.S. at least make New Year's resolutions, right? Did you make a New Year's resolution? Anyone? Um, I saw a joke this week where a kid was asking an older adult, what is a New Year's resolution? And the adult said, oh, don't worry, it's just your to-do list for the first week of January. <laughs> and we laugh because we know how true that feels sometimes. Like, we go in with the best intentions, and whether it's 1 or 10 or 100 or 365, a new resolution every day, I knew one guy who said and didn't do. Um, we have the best intentions to do better at this, to stop this habit, to start this habit, to change some behavior, right? But often those things last for. A few months, a few weeks, a few days, a few minutes for some things. And I think, and I want to propose that one of the reasons that, that New Year's resolutions fade and go away is, is just that. They're, they're primarily about a behavior change. They're primarily about something that is 
action and surface. And, and so today and next week, as we kind of step into this new year, which there's nothing magical about a calendar turning, right? It just happens to be a moment where a lot of folks go, oh, let's kind of examine a little bit. Let's look inward. Let's be a little bit more introspective or reflective than we usually are. And so today and next week, we want to invite us as a community, as a church family, to to consider something deeper than just behavior change, something deeper than New Year's resolution, and that is this idea of vocation. I say the word vocation, which what gut response comes to mind? Job. Yeah. That, that is kind of number one, job, career, something, um, is, is what comes to mind when we hear the word vocation. But, but, but it's more than that. In its historic and, and, and largely global sense of the English-speaking sense of the word, vocation is something far deeper than a job, deeper than work. It's our calling. And maybe all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's a disconnect then. If I've always thought of my job as my vocation, oh, no. But the calling and vocation is more about who we are than what we do. Is that fair? Like your calling, your vocation, is more about who we are than what we do. It's more about our identity. It's more about our inner life than our action and outward expressions. And and so as followers of Jesus, I would submit it's true for anyone, but as followers of Jesus, it's helpful to cut through the noise and chaos and temptation and other things that vie for our attention or or vie to define us or vie for our affection, which are all siren calls, if you will, and, and to pause at least at the start of this year, if not at the start of every day for some of us, and just remember, who am I? What is my primary calling? What is my primary vocation? Because that is going to shape our life. To say it a different way, who you are defines what you do. Is that fair? And and so to remind ourselves of who we are, of our true calling, of our true vocation, I want us to start all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, And so I'm going to read from Genesis 1 and 2. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read a fair chunk of it. And and I'd love for you to to read with me if you want. But, But primarily, as I read, I want you to pay attention to identity statements in this text calling statements in this text. Who are we? How did we come to be? Why do we exist? This is what we're going to see and what I want you to pay attention to as I read. So this is Genesis 1 after God's created the rest of the things on the earth. Then God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image, humanity in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, 
and all the host of them. And skipping down a few verses to chapter 2, verse 7, a little bit more of a personal view of, of God's creation of humanity. The Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and is good for food. Skipping a little bit more to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to him. And Adam said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, so there's a couple questions that we're going to put up there. What do these chapters, these selections say about our primary calling, about our vocation? Again, who do they say we are? How do they say we came to be? What do they say about the reasons we exist. What came to mind? Open question, open conversation. We were given authority to subdue God's creation. Yeah. Yeah, so, so in part we're created in God's image, right? And to reflect that image to the rest of God's creation. Yeah. We'll get into this a little bit next week, but that idea of, of having dominion doesn't mean necessarily dominance. When we think of domineering today or this kind of stuff has the same root word, but it's really, truly, we get to co-labor with God to cultivate the rest of his creation, which may be a shift for us. We'll get into that next week a little bit. What else do you see about who we are, why we were created? So you got um, naming different mm-hmm. things in the beginning and then giving mandatory names. Yeah. yeah, so that same thing. We get to be co-laborers with God. It's part of reflecting his image. God said his creation was good. Yeah. Yeah, we were created good. There may be some of us that just need to hear that today. That even with the fall, like our original created state, like we were good. There's one thing that wasn't good. That was that Adam was by himself. So we're also created to exist with others. None of us gets to fully Reflect God alone. We do it better with others. What else? In his image and his likeness. Yeah, in his image and his likeness. And then what are some things you know just to be true of God? Like what is what are some things God tells us are true of himself? 
whether in this passage or not. He's good. He's perfect. He's loving. So like, and, and, and this is so hard to fathom. Like, but before sin, that was also true about us. Like, we were good. We were perfect. We were loving. Like, there's, there's pieces that we can't really grasp that were true of us as we reflected God to the world around us before sin entered the world. Anything else? Obey him. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're created to be obedient, to listen to God and obey him. As valuable as people are, we're, we're not the main, main character of these chapters. God is the king of his kingdom, and he's good, and he's trustworthy, and he's worth obeying. We're created dependent. Something that struck me as I read this this week. Like, what does God do in these chapters versus what, is, what do we do? We only do, humans only do, like, what God lets us do. He provides, he created, he breathed life into Adam. He formed Adam and he formed Eve. Like, we're utterly dependent on God. Anything else stand out? I think, like, when it says, like, let us make man in mm-hmm. our image, like, thinking of we are made in the image of Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah. 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 Which even, I think, is tied more than we think it is to, like, why is it not good for man to be alone? Mm-hmm. Like, our community, and, and specifically, it talks about Adam and Eve becoming one flesh, and there's that side of it as well, but, but even just the, the, the two humans created, for the record, uniquely but perfectly unified, right? It, it is not something unique. To humans, in fact, if you look at most of Genesis one, there's kind of an equal and opposite of the rest of the things God created: land and air and water, and, and they're different, but they work perfectly together. And all of that gets to be a reflection of our triune God, Father, Spirit, Son, unique but, but perfectly unified. Anything else? Has an emphasis on beauty, just for no reason other than you. Yeah, yeah, there's an emphasis on beauty. Uh, We don't see this in English as much, but both God's let us create man in our image, and then Adam's this at last is bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. The only vocalizations here are poetry. They're they're songs, in a sense. There's not prose other than kind of the the, the narration itself. But but God, when God speaks, and Adam, when Adam speaks, it's, it's this added to colors and sounds and animals and beauty and this kind of stuff, and even the, the vernacular's beauty. So there's this beauty there. This may be way too basic, but I, I just want to draw out that we were also created by God. That's one thing it says here. Um, humans were created by God, and, and we're created for God as well. There's this deep relationship, not just between Adam and Eve, but there's this beautiful, perfect relationship between God and Adam and God and Eve and God and the rest of his creation. He created us as his first sons and daughters, Adam and Eve, his first sons and daughters. There's this really beautiful personal relationship. The rest of creation, God seems to speak, but in creating Adam, forming him from the ground, breathing life into his nostrils and creating Eve. There's, a, there's an intimacy that seems to exist there from the moment of human creation. And if we're honest, like we could go on and on and on about what does this show about God and what does this show about us? 
But, but I kind of want to land here is that we were created for relationship, like we've said. The one thing that wasn't good is, is that Adam was alone. And so only after Eve did God look at the world and say it was not just good, but what? It was very good. It, it is now complete. And in fact, and this will be up on the screen, but, but for a lot of years, theologians have said that, that in God's original creation and before sin entered the world, people existed with four different relationships. We had a relationship with God, and guess what? It was perfect and unified and worshipful and amazing and, and perfect. And we had a relationship with others that was perfect and unified and worshipful. We had a relationship with the, the, the rest of creation, and we had a relationship with ourselves. Like, we were okay with ourselves. Anyone not feel okay about yourself sometimes, heart, soul, mind, and strength? Like, could you imagine if all of those... We can't, actually. No, you can't imagine if our relationship with God was perfect and our relationship toward ourselves and our relationship toward the world around us and other people were. Because it's just so unfathomably out there. We don't know what that would look like. All of these relationships were unique and perfect. And so bottom line, you and I and every human on earth were created by God and we were created for God. You and I and every human on earth were created to be with God. That's, that's how humanity was originally formed. Before sin entered the world, our primary calling as a human race, our primary vocation was to be with God. Adam and Eve were unique but unified. They were naked and unashamed. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They cultivated God's creation. They they did so together as they shared his image with the rest of God's creation. Their primary calling, their primary vocation was a relational one. Be with God. Be with people. Be with creation. Our original And our primary identity of Adam and Eve and of every human, whether we believe it or not, is as a son or daughter of God. Your primary calling, your primary identity is to be a son or daughter, an heir of your father God. That is your primary title. You, as we start this new year and every day in your past and every day in your future, your primary titles are beloved. Your primary titles are, are, are one who is delighted in. Your primary title is, is one who has a personal relationship with God. Honest moment, is that hard for anyone to hear? Is it hard to picture that? And, and it, our primary calling And those perfect relationships are really clouded and broken because Genesis 1 and 2 gives way to Genesis 3 and sin enters creation. And it's hard for us to picture that naked and unashamed life. And we giggle at that. It's hard for us to picture the walking with God in the cool of the day. I I had a, a couple moments even just over this past few weeks um, and kind of a convergence of authors, everything from a book on prayer to an article in the New York Times, which are, you know, fairly opposite ends of the spectrum. But I had this moment where I realized, like, as I was kind of tearing up and my heart was clenching inside me, I have a really hard time accepting that I'm loved by God. Anyone else resonate with me? 
Um, I don't fully know why that is. I honestly don't really want to step into that. Um, it feels like a long journey that I'm not ready for today. And, and I know it intellectually. As I was processing it with, with Jess, it's, it's not a head knowledge kind of thing. It's like no one can tell you anything or throw a verse at you to make you believe, right? If you've been in this place, like you get that. Um, it's more of a discovery. It's more of a just, I, I don't, I don't know if I accept it. It's like my heart clenches when I think of that. I got pretty emotional at the thought that God just loves me. Have you struggled with something similar as it relates to your primary title, your primary identity? You're, you're delighted. You're loved. You're a son or a daughter. You were created good. Sin ruined that calling. Sin ruined that vocation. It ruins our relationships. All four of these relationships that we were created for, with God, with self, with each other, with creation, all of them were broken by sin. That whole walking with God in the cool of the day, just being with him, has given way to shame and giving in to temptation and feeling like we have to earn something or hiding from God. Anyone? That, that, that naked and unashamed with, with others? Unique but unified. You're different than me, but we're better together and in this. We've known this better than maybe any other truth over the last couple of years. That's given way to division and blame and hatred. Who hasn't wished something about yourself was different? That loving cultivation over creation, the care for God's people and imaging forth his image to the rest of the world... Has that not led to all of us on some level being selfish and inward and domineering and looking out for number one? These things may also be hard to hear, but I don't know that they're quite as hard to picture as Genesis 1 and 2. Because that's what life looks like on some level every day, isn't it? Because of sin, our unity is given way to division and our dependence is given way to independence and our obedience to God is given way to independence to some siren call of other authorities and other voices and other temptations. Because of sin, instead of pursuing God's image, we seek instead, do we not do, we not do this? Do we not seek to look instead like some other lowercase g God? Instead of looking like God, I want to look like someone successful. I want to look like someone with this reputation. I want to look like someone with this amount of wealth. I want to look like someone who's devoted to this cause. I want this level of popularity. These are false gods, and yet those are the gods whose voices we listen to, aren't they? Because of sin, instead of seeing our primary identity and calling and vocation as a son and daughter of God, our time and our finances and our thoughts and our lives, on some level, end up being filled with everything but God. Is that fair? Is that overstated? Or on some reality, is that what you experience every day? Even if we put up some facade, because we know we're supposed to look holy, even if we wrote God as our number one priority, at our true core, is that honest? Is that really true? Or let me, let me come at this from a different angle. Um, did you know that the concept of priorities, plural, priorities, I-E-S, has only existed since about 1940? For all of history before, not about 1940, 
priority was only a singular word. Why is that? Because by definition, we can only actually have one priority. Priority comes from a Latin word, prioritas. Sounds the same. You get it. You know what it means? First. And guess what? You can only have one first. We can't have multiple firsts. And so I wonder if some of this wrestle that we experience is because we try to have too many firsts. Even in going, hey, write down your first four or five priorities, that's kind of hypocrisy. It's kind of an oxymoron. You can't write down five firsts. And, And so hear me, the only reason that you and I let other people consume us or the only reason that other roles define us or the only reason that we believe other things when they offer to fix something and make us better or the only reason we give in to to other false promised hopes is because we've lost sight of our primary identity, our primary calling, our primary vocation. I need to hear today, and I wonder if you need to hear today, that you are created by God. And you are created for his purposes. And you are created to be with God. Your primary identity is an heir of a perfect father a son or daughter of the king of the universe. Your primary calling, your primary vocation is to be with God and obey God and reflect God's image back to God and and to yourself and the things you tell yourself about yourself and to reflect God to others and to reflect God to the world around us. Do you believe that? Like in your head, do you believe that? But also like, where I'm struggling today, in your heart, do you believe that? Do you believe that's who you are? Before you're a spouse, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're a boss, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're a sibling, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're a parent, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're a widow, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're an employee, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're a a child of someone, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're a classmate of someone, you're God's son or daughter. Before you're single, you're God's son or daughter. Before any other label that you believe about yourself or that the world tries to put on you, you are a child of God. And y'all, only when return, when we return to this single priority, only then do we live as God originally designed. And only when we return to that single priority will it rightly overflow into all of our other roles and other lesser titles and other lesser priorities and other lesser actions. Only when we return to that single priority does the right priority, does the right calling, does the right vocation shake the rest of our lives. Because whether we believe that or whether something's out of whack, who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, that's what overflows into the rest of our lives. So I, I don't know how I can state this stronger as we start this year together 
it is vital for each of us individually, and it's vital for us as a family to remind each other of our one priority and our primary identity, our primary calling, our primary vocation. And so I want to invite you to have some conversations this week, whether at home, in your household, whatever that looks like, with other folks in community, with your DNA, neighbors on a walk, whatever it may be. And we'll put some of this in the email that goes out on Tuesday. And we'll pick up the conversation next Sunday. But what would it look like? And this is what I want you to dream about this week. What would it look like if we actually lived out that primary identity, that calling, that vocation, what would it look like if we actually lived that out and saw it overflow into different areas of our lives? Babies cry because we don't do it. So, you know, don't make a baby cry next week. In other words, like, what, what would it look like to live as if God was our number one priority rather than one of many or rather than other things? What would it look like if God and his design overflowed into every facet of your life? What would that that look like as you thought about your own sin and God's forgiveness? What would it look like if you believed that in marriage and parenting and singleness? What would it look like as you interact with people you like and don't like at work or school? What would it look like in the truth you tell yourself or lies that you tell yourself? What would it look like as it relates to your pursuit of folks who don't know Jesus yet. This makes sense? Because as, as our priority and our identity and our calling and our vocation overflows into our everyday lives, that, that's when we live as God intended. That's when we see little glimpses of his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just when we're gathered in a room like this or with your, with your DNA or in your five to 30 minutes that you planned for Bible reading in the morning and may or may not have done it because it was a New Year's resolution. It's not just then. It's in the boring, mundane relationships. It's in the the, the moments that you're just kind of going through your routine. It's in every interaction you have and every duty you're called to carry out. That's, That's when we live as God intended. That's where his kingdom comes. That's where his will's done in part because those are the spaces where we get to restore right relationships. So I'm going to close with this. I said this earlier, but, but all of this, everything we're talking about today, this is all true for, for every human, whether we believe it or not. But I don't have to convince you, because of sin, because of brokenness, many people don't believe that this is their primary identity. Many, many of us don't believe that this is our primary calling. That's true of followers of Jesus. It's true of not followers of Jesus. Do we not all, on some level, in some ways, in some moments, place our identity and hope somewhere else? Or seek meaning in what someone else says of us? Or pursue some other calling or vocation as being primary? Or, or, or make all sorts of other things our priorities either more than or at least in addition to God. Don't don't we all do things like this? No matter how hard we try, we can't restore our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others around us, with the rest of creation. We can't do that by our own power. Even if we try to get it right, we're still hopeless and helpless. But if you 
call yourself someone who's in Christ, who's, who's come to know Jesus and put your trust in him or faith in him or be saved or be converted or whatever language you want to use. If you associate with that in his death and his resurrection, there's perfect reconciliation of relationship. His good news is in part that you get to return to your original identity. In Christ, God was and is and will be restoring all brokenness and all false identities and all lesser callings and false vocations. And so I want to put a verse on the screen that we're going to end with today. It's from 2 Corinthians and just perfectly captures this, because if anyone is in Christ, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and maybe to the church in Fort Worth today. If anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old, the false identities, the other siren calls and lesser vocations and things we're tempted to believe about ourselves and God and this kind of all that all that has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. All all the brokenness, God's making that right again. Little bits and little glimpses right now, one day in full. It's going to be like it was originally intended. God's reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. And I just kind of want to let that verse sit. But at the start of this new year, more than New Year's resolutions, more than trying to reprioritize and get X before Y, before Z, before AA, whatever it is, let's remind ourselves of this. Your true identity, our true identity, your truest calling and vocation, our truest calling and vocation is that you are God's. God created you for himself. God pursued you and pursues you when other priorities fill your time and your finances and your thought life and everything else. And God called you to himself and he reminds you as he continually calls you back to himself. God calls you to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Is that good news? That's what we're going to recall through this act of communion tonight. So we're going to do this a little bit differently. So don't take the bread yet. Um, But I want to give you a little bit of time to reflect. Um, Again, nothing magical about December turning to January or 22 turning to 23. But in this moment, Matt's going to play a little bit. And I just want to invite you um, to reflect on the verses that are going to stay on the screen. Um, If there's a conversation that you need to have, feel free to grab someone. Uh, If you feel led to pray for someone, grab someone. But I just want you to ask, God, what what do you want me to pay attention to in this? Um, And then I want to invite you to pray for a few minutes. Um, Alone, again, with others. Um, If a thought comes to mind, you want to share it with someone, I'll be in the back. There's other people at your table around you. Again, if you want to ask for prayer, feel the freedom to do that. Um, 
And I always hesitate to say that when you're ready, come to the table, or when you're ready, take communion, because the whole point of communion is that none of us are ready, and, and that, that his perfection, his death and resurrection covers us and, and, and invites us to the table whenever, even though we're not ready. And, and that makes sense? Like, so I don't want to say, like, whenever you're ready, take communion, but kind of whenever you're ready, it's there. Like, the invitation's there. And so take a moment and reflect, take a moment and pray, and then maybe it's coming to God with a question. Maybe it's coming to God and going, I don't know if I believe this today. Maybe it's coming to God and going, I need your help in this. Maybe it's coming to God and going, whatever it is, whatever state you're in, the invitation's on the table. And so whenever you're ready, I don't know how else to say it, take the bread, dip it in the juice or the wine, remembering that we are brought back to our primary identity and our first, first priority through the broken body, body, broken body and spilled blood of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Take a few minutes, reflect.